the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese. Certified Financial Planner, and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Here we are at the Memorial Day weekend. This is the start of the summer in my book. Although officially summer doesn't really start until June 20th, I know that you have family get-togethers and barbecues planned, and uh, some will be traveling for the first time uh, since the COVID started. So it should be a wonderful holiday in spite of a little rain today, but the other two days are supposed to be good. And as we enjoy this long holiday weekend, let's not forget what Monday is all about. Memorial Day is a day set aside to remember the soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen that made the ultimate sacrifice for their country. Memorial Day is their day, a day to remember and a day to be forever indebted to those who didn't come back, those whom we can never pay back for the sacrifices that they made for us. Memorial Day has been a day of remembrance since the Civil War. It was originally set aside to honor Civil War dead by decorating their graves. Uh, then it has been called uh, Decoration Day when it was first observed in May 30, 1968. After World War I, 
it was renamed Memorial Day and set aside as the day to be observed in honor of our members of the armed forces who have died in all the U.S. wars. Since 1971, Memorial Day has been observed on the last Monday in May. This year, there won't be the usual Memorial Day parades and memorial services. Each community will try to find a way to remember those who gave America so much more than they received. So let's take the time to think and remember the great sacrifices that they made for you and me. This is the time to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the troops that made the sacrifices in the past and the sacrifices of our military who are making those sacrifices today in the Middle East and, and uh, Afghanistan and all around the world. As Americans, it's our patriotic duty to honor those who have been lost in the service of our country and to never allow them to be forgotten. So we have a lot to do and a lot to think about this weekend. So take the time to think about it. One of the minor benefits of Monday being a national holiday is that the U.S. stock market will be closed in a lot of other places like banks and post offices. And, but these are times that we can focus our thinking on what's important and the sacrifices that others have made for us. This week, global equities were mostly up basically everywhere. In the United States, the stock indices marked the fourth consecutive monthly advance as the economic data signaled a sustained rebound. We are still fighting the COVID, but basically winning this time with uh, average cases in the U.S. down to less than 30,000 new cases a day, as opposed to the start of the year, in which case the number of cases was up to something like 240,000 uh, cases per day. The vaccines have been our secret weapon, but personally, I think we're getting a little too cocky. Uh, the world. The war has not is not over yet. Uh, the double dose vac- vaccination uh, has immunized only about forty percent of our population, and uh, that's according to the John Hopkins University database. While seventy-five to eighty percent has been uh, touted as the uh, herd immunity phase. Well, we're only halfway there. And with a lot more vaccinations to go, um, but the number of vaccinations has been uh, going down. Right now, it's about 1.5 million vaccinations per day. A month ago, it's 3.3 million. So uh, the important thing is to really finish the war. Uh, if this were World War II, uh, we would be, right now, we'd be standing uh, even before Normandy. We'd still be fighting in, the, uh, in Italy. So the important thing is to get vaccinated and get, get this thing immunized so that we can stamp it out. And uh, talking about another subject, uh, this week investors were focused on the outlook for higher spending, they would boost growth and personal consumption expenditure. And talking about personal consumption expenditures, a report from the Department of Commerce 
the personal income and outlays for April uh, showed that Americans are spending, which is good news, but also showed that the Federal Reserve's most favorite inflation tracker, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, has popped up in April, uh, just like the, the Consumer Price Index popped up earlier, uh, I think two weeks ago. So the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index for the past 12 months was 36% and 31% uh, for the uh, uh, 36% for the over the last 12 months for the all-in um, uh, index, and then if you exclude food and fuel, then you get the core uh, personal consumption expenditure, and I came in at 3.1. These values were basically 2.4% and 1.9% uh, last week, last month. Uh, this new indication of inflation <clears throat> was a topic of investor discussion this past week. And it's, uh, uh, the discussion is, is it transitory? And uh, is it just a matter of uh, prices going up while we iron out the uh, problems in the supply chains and uh, uh, people are now willing to pay more. You can pass the expenses down to the final consumer uh, and this will be over, let's say, by the end of the year. Or is it something more indicating something more permanent that indicates that inflation will be at a much higher, at a higher level, not much higher, at a higher level than the uh, 2% goal that the um, uh, Federal Reserve has. In other words, we remarked several times earlier that uh, um, all businesses are having a, a rough time uh, getting started again. Some some places, in, like restaurants and and uh, theaters and things of this nature, are having problems with getting enough help. Other places are having problems with their uh, supply chains, in a sense that. They basically, in some cases, forgot to keep, forgot to feed their supply chains uh, in this downtime during the COVID, and uh, in some cases, the supply chains are having difficulty uh, throttling up again. And in some cases, the difficulty is that the parts of the supply chain have disappeared. Uh, you know, one of the big concerns of any smaller business when they get a big order. From a, most of the orders are coming from uh, one group, uh, one customer, is that the one customer will suddenly uh, shut down. That's exactly what happened in the COVID. And some of these people in the supply chain have basically disappeared. So it's basically uh, working the way companies are working their way through, uh, building up, increasing the speed of the and production of the supply chains, but also uh, helping um, uh, new companies get started in their supply chains. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, consumer report, and not the consumer report, but the pers personal consumption expenditures, uh, they were 2.4 uh, last month, and now they're 3.6% over the last 12 months. So part of that is what they call the base effect. And the base effect is that 
in March and April of last year, the uh, the um, personal consumption expenditure as, as well as the, the consumer price index were kind of unreliable because nobody knew what was going on. Companies were shutting down and the employment was going sky high and and what do these numbers really mean? Well, those, are, those numbers are now being incorporated in, in the, uh, uh, the economic data. So uh, what we expect is uh, more discussions about uh, uh, what inflation is going to look like in the future and whether it's transitory or not. The Federal Reserve says it's transitory, but uh, investors aren't... Uh, are somewhat skeptical. In uh, the report from the uh, Department of Commerce, they call it the Personal Income and Outlays for April report. And uh, that shows that the household personal income fell 13.1% uh, for April, uh, fell from 13.1% in the March number. In April, household personal income decreased $3.2 trillion. But in spite of the drop in consumer income, in April, consumer spending, as measured by the uh, personal consumption expenditure, increased a half a percent, or $80.3 billion. Uh, the decrease in the personal income in April primarily reflects a decrease in uh, government social benefits. Uh, government social benefits have decreased as the economic impact payments made to individuals uh, from the American Rescue Plan of, uh, 20, 000, of 2021 continued, but at a lower level than in March. Unemployment insurance also decreased, led by a decrease in payments from the Pandemic unemployment uh, compensation program. There's basically three unemployment federal unemployment compensation programs. Uh, the 80.3 billion dollar increase in the personal consumption expenditure in April reflected an increase of 112 billion dollars in spending for services, and uh, that was partially offset by a. $32.3 billion decrease in spending for goods. Within services, the largest contributor to the increase were spending for recreation services and for food services and accommodations. And if you take a look on the other side, uh, within the goods category, uh, a decrease in non-durable goods was partly offset by an increase in durable goods. Well, within non-durable goods, the decrease was basically widespread. It was led by food and beverages. And within durable goods, the increase was accounted for uh, by an increase in uh, motor vehicles and parts. So one thing is the American consumer is buoyed by the uh, rising vaccinations following business restrictions and business restrictions are lifting. And... Uh, and uh, there's ample household savings, mostly provided by the government stimulus programs. And what we're seeing is Americans are increasingly comfortable enough to go out in public 
and buy things in person, which is a shift that uh, economists say is crucial to getting the economy running at full speed again. So um, spending on services, which uh, account for the bulk of all consumer purchases, rose 1.1% last month, while the spending on goods dropped uh, six-tenths of a 1%. One of the big problems with the spending on goods is that this uh, uh, availability of chips uh, for the uh, car industry is hampering now. They see General Motors is starting up uh, a couple of plants. I don't know where they found their chips at, but they're, they're, they're finding them. Uh, Americans are well positioned to continue spending uh, despite the drop in income last month. Uh, household income fell 13.1%, the biggest drop. In, in, in April, the biggest drop in record, uh, though the decline followed the surge the previous month uh, due to the effects of the stimulus payments that went out earlier this year. Uh, income rose sharply in March as the government uh, said uh, most households are $1,400 checks as part of their COVID uh, uh, stimulus effort. Despite the April uh, drop, the household income was 11% higher than in February of last year. So if we compare uh, uh, April to uh, February of last year with this whole thing, just before this whole thing, COVID, thing started, uh, the household, households have saved about $2 trillion more than they would have absent the, the pandemic and personal uh, relief efforts to respond to it. That's according to Morgan Stanley's data. The report also contained a potential warning flag, i.e. higher inflation, labor shortages, rising demand, and disruptions in shipments are leading companies to raise prices. The Commerce Department's inflation measure showed consumer prices rose uh, six-tenths of a percent in April, from a month earlier at 3.6% uh, from 12 months ago. Uh, core prices, which would exclude energy and food, strictly because they're, they're uh, global uh, commodities and uh, the Federal Reserve doesn't have any control over those at all. Uh, core prices, which exclude energy and food, rose 7 tenths of a percent over the month. And 3.1% over the year. Now, if you recall, um, the Federal Reserve indicated that uh, they were going to keep the interest rates low uh, by uh, essentially buying uh, bonds, uh, $120 billion worth of bonds per month, uh, $80 billion of uh, Treasury, and, and uh, $40 billion of uh, of uh, agency mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie and Jimmy. And uh, the, the, uh, the idea here is that they're uh, going to stay according to their plan. According to their plan, they might not change their mode of operation until the end of uh, 2023. Now, a lot of people figure that that's a long time away, Maybe more like the, uh, the end of 2022 would be more appropriate, but that's for investors to sort out. And 
the basically the if you take a look at what's happening in inflation, uh, you take a look at two things. One is the consumer price index, which we're all familiar with, and uh, that's put out by the Department of Labor, and that says the all-item consumer price index that it doesn't include it does include food and fuel that went up 4.2 percent over the last 12 months in uh, April, and the core consumer price index, that went up 3% over the last uh, uh, 12 months. And the personal consumption expenditure uh, forecast for the, uh, which the Federal Reserve prefers to track inflation, according to the Department of Commerce, uh, personal consumption expenditures uh, for the all-item uh, personal consumption expenditure went up 3.6%, and the core went up 3.1%. So basically, they're, they're above the 2%, and the Federal Reserve said that they're going to keep their plan in action uh, regardless of whether it increased more than uh, 2%. They're going to keep it in action until uh, the economy is in full steam and we have uh, employment. Uh, in the uh, uh, throughout the the labor sectors from the highest to the lowest, uh, they expect to be down around four percent. So that'll be quite a challenge. Uh, the, uh, we'll see what happens with regards to that particular item. In any case, just to give you an idea of what they're looking at in terms of uh, the, the core personal consumption expenditure. Uh, basically, for the last uh, uh, let's say for the last six months, November, uh, the personal consumption expenditure core was 1.4 percent. December was 1.5. January was 1.5 percent. February was 1.6. March it began to climb it was 1.9, and here we are in April at 3.1 percent. And the Federal Reserve has seen both the uh, core CPI and the core uh, personal consumption expenditure and said that they're going to continue their present program and keep their rates low because the uh, Federal Reserve thinks that inflation increase is transitory and will be down close to 2% after the end of the year. In other words, they're fighting with the, uh, getting the people back and people employed and fighting with the uh, supply chains and, and all the rest of the stuff is causing these increases. But once things get back to normal, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, inflation uh, will uh, go down to something maybe like 2.5% or three, less than 3%. That's what they're hoping for. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get This Flow. Uh, you can give us a call. We talk about, uh, you know, the, the big picture here, uh, but we all live in the, in the uh, uh, micro uh, environment rather than the macro environment. So you can give us a call with your issues and your problems. Uh, the toll-free number here is 1-888-281-1110. So give us a call. Let's talk about uh, what you're facing or what you're seeing out there. Okay, this is Jim McAleese. 
Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Show. This is your host this morning, Jim McAuley. And, you know, we started the show with um, remember our fallen soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen. Uh, here's something uh, on Memorial Day in uh, 1984, President uh, Ronald Reagan, he spoke at the Arlington National Cemetery during ceremonies honoring the unknown soldier from the Vietnam War. And uh, President Reagan said, the unknown soldier who is returned to us today and whom we lay to rest is, is symbolic of all our missing sons. About him we may well wonder, as others have, as a child, did he play on Front Street in a great American city? Or did he work beside his father on a farm out in America's heartland? Uh, did he marry? Did he have children? Did he look expectantly to return to a bride? We'll never know the answers to these questions about his life. We do know, though, why he died. He saw the horrors of war and bravely faced them. Certain his own cause and his country's cause was a noble one. That he was fighting for human dignity and for freedmen everywhere. So... Just another reminder that, you know, this is a very special holiday that we're approaching right now. Uh, oh, okay. Let's go to the phone. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Can I help you this morning? Hello? Hello there. This is Jim McAleese. Hi, this is Vince. Hey, and uh, uh, my son's in a mutual fund, and he's uh, they're recommending uh, 60 uh, stocks and 40 bonds. He has three years mm-hmm. before retiring. Our bonds, uh, mm-hmm. are they pretty safe uh, going into a, what our, the way our economy is going? Yeah, I think our economy is showing a lot of strength. And uh, the 60-40, uh, typically uh, when people get ready to retire, they tend to bring down the uh, uh, amount of stock and increase the amount of bonds so that they end up with more of a 50-50, 50% stock, 50% bonds. But in this situation, there's two uh, uh, 
mm, two things that are happening out there. One is that it's very difficult to make money in bonds. In other words, uh, he's retiring in two or three years, so he's probably got another 30 years in retirement. And he has to keep up with the cost of living and stuff like that. Whereas when you look at bonds today, what you see is that uh, uh, the interest rates are very low. And uh, the only way that the interest rates are going to go is go higher. So when interest rates go up, you know, which they will because this inflation will cause inflation to go up. So inflation will go up and interest rates will go up. And that decreases the value of the bond. And a lot of people can't understand that. But think of yourself as a bondholder. Uh, you're collecting interest uh, from the bond, and that's always positive. But the value of your bond is going up and down, depending upon the prevailing rates. So if you bought a bond that paid you, let's say you paid $1,000 for it, it a 4% bond, it's paying you $40 a year. That's that's what you're going to get. Then you look at how much my bond went up or down. Okay, let's say uh, you bought it at 4%, but that same bond, if you were to buy a new bond today, would be paying 5%. So you go to the bond dealer and say, hey, what will you give me for my bond? They'll tell you that if I could buy a brand-new bond just like yours, It'll pay me $50 a year, and you're trying to sell me one that's going to pay me $40 a year. So I'll buy you a bond, but I won't give you what you paid for, $1,000. So therefore, you see, as as interest rates go up, the value of the bonds go down. And that mutual funds have to account for that. Anything in a mutual fund is uh, based upon uh, selling it the next day. In other words, your stock funds, what they do is say, hey, I got so much Boeing. What did Boeing close at today? I got so much 3M. How much did that close at today? And they come up with, this is the, uh, this is what this mutual fund is worth. If it's a stock fund, they do the same thing in the bonds. So they go through all the bonds and they say, this fund is worth so much as if it were to be liquidated the next day. So, uh, you're always seeing your mutual funds. What you're seeing right now is that mutual funds have been taking, uh, in, in bonds, have been taking losses. And the way that people are getting around that is to go to the higher and higher yield and to the riskier uh, bonds, which might not be appropriate in three years in retirement, too. So, one of the things is, one of the points is that. Inflation, uh, interest rates are going to go up. The value of the bond funds right now, you're having a lot of difficulty making money. Most of your bond funds are showing losses. Uh, in the case of short maturity uh, funds, the losses might be uh, 2%, 3% uh, so far this year. In the case of long maturity bonds, 20 or 30 year bonds, you might be seeing uh, losses of 10%. So it's very difficult to make money in bonds right now. So that's a, it's a, a case for uh, getting uh, into more stocks, you know, the 60, 
40 versus the 50-50. Another thing is that uh, I, I'm seeing the economy. I think it's going to be a good, uh, and the stock market is going to be good for the next couple of years. In other words, you're in an environment where uh, the government is throwing money all over the place. So, you know, these are the good times, you know, the, the old thing about letting the good times roll. So, hey, we're in the good times, and the good times are going to roll. How long? Okay, I, I suspect at least for another year, probably more like two years. Uh, but then sooner or later, people say, well, wait a second, who's going to pay uh, for all this? And then they start to tighten their belts. So it's, the reason I would say he'd be more comfortable with the 60% rather than the 50% stock was that I think the market would be good for the next one or two years just because uh, the whole picture is good. In other words, people are coming out of hibernation. They got money. Uh, they have to spend on trips and stuff like that. So they're in good shape, and they're willing to spend it. So, uh, more stock, uh, that's okay right now. You know, 60-40 is fine. Okay? All right. So when he retires, should he get more bonds or uh, uh, save uh, He has keep keep his eyes open, you know. Keep your eyes open. There's no use, uh, uh, no use uh, bulking up on bonds right now because it's almost impossible to make money in bonds. Okay? He doesn't have so a pension, so he doesn't have huh? a pension. So he's relying basically on his four hundred one k's, you know, for uh, retirement, yeah, yeah. his IRA. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you see, we're seeing a lot of that nowadays. You've got to tailor the uh, portfolio to, to take that into account. So, well, what we're taking, we're taking into account is that times are good. Uh, the uh, the uh, percentage of the stock. Would be better. Would be higher than it would normally be, okay. Uh, because times are good and because there's no money involved. And then as time goes on, he, he has to keep his eyes open and uh, see if uh, how's the stock versus the bond look. You know, if he can change that, he can change that to a, a 50-50 uh, or whatever he wants to change it to, uh, three or four years down the road. Okay. Or any time during his retirement, he has to keep up. The problem with the, uh, your friend is he has to keep up with inflation. And uh, I have a feel that you know we're talking right now about inflation being, oh, uh, you know, two percent or something. I don't believe that. I think we're we're gonna we're gonna be talking about inflation in the three percent range, and that's you know that's the average. Uh, inflation over the last 50 years. So, okay. okay. If, I, if I miss you one thing, they usually say you need a million dollars in your uh, IRAs in order to retire. Is that, uh, is that low now? Somebody says it's low now. I should have more in your portfolio. Well, the more, the, the more the better. You know, you and I both know that. Give me, uh, but, but somebody who's got a million dollars in their IRA, uh, you typically look at it and say, okay, uh, you may not have a pension, but you do have your IRAs. And a million dollars in the IRA, there's an old rule of thumb that you can expect to get uh, 4%. And you can 
you can get arguments one way or the other about this. So you got a million dollars, so a million dollars would throw off $40,000 a year. Okay, in, in uh, dividends and interest and capital gain. Now, question now is how much uh, uh, Social Security, how much Social Security do you have? Okay? And uh, then the next question is how much Social Security does the spouse have? So when you end up adding the, the 40000 plus maybe, uh, there's a lot of cases where uh, people have between, uh, let's say, between uh, two dollars and $3,000 a month in Social Security. So to say 3000 is worth $36,000 a year. And then the, the spouse, spouse typically uh, the... Uh, the spouse generally, the ladies generally make less than the men do. So let's say a uh, minimum would be half of the uh, the spousal uh, payment, the spousal benefit. Uh, even if she, even if the spouse never worked outside the home, and that would be another eighteen thousand. So you got a forty, 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 thirty-six, and eighteen. And uh, then you have to take a look at uh, what they're spending. You know, when you're in retirement, you got a lot more time uh, to get in. <laughs> you got a lot more time to get in trouble. Okay. <laughs> I will thank and you. Every, you have a great show, and thank you. Keep up the good work. Okay, you too. Okay. Have a good Have a good weekend. You too. Have a great one too. Okay. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Financial planning, let's say for, uh, uh, let's talk about uh, new residential sales. You know, all along this, this uh, show, we've been talking about basically inflation, you know, that the economy is coming back, that there's inflation. Uh, you can really see it in uh, new residential uh, construction. New residential construction is basically going flat out. Um, they are basically constrained by the lack of skilled journeymen, uh, the lack of uh, building lots, the increases in prices, not knowing how much they can uh, charge and put an order in for, for uh, fixtures for the house. And when the order comes in and half the material is back ordered, uh, so you're ending up as a <laughs> as a builder. You're ending up as a warehouser. You know to, to get all this material together so that you can install it in the house. So uh, the, the housing market is basically hot and has been hot because of the uh, flexibility rules and people working from home and the students are working from home and the and the uh, people are figuring that, hey, let's get out of here. It's getting too crowded. It's getting too dangerous. Let's go out and get a little land in the suburbs where the kids can play. 
Then you've got the low interest rate. But uh, new single-family construction and sales are, are feeling the headwind, and um, they're basically slowing down uh, relative to the previous month, but they're still way above the COVID months uh, starting in March of 2020. And basically the headwinds are, um, you know, the, uh, uh, all the things that uh, I just mentioned. And, uh, and what you see right now is the starts uh, on single-family homes. That was down 9.5% in March, uh, but up uh, basically 67% above the April uh, start numbers a year ago. And uh, um, about a year ago, 2020, was low because of the... Uh, uh, the whole country was shut down. We saw that in, uh, in the March and, and April numbers, employment, unemployment and stuff like this. And the sale of uh, new single-family homes uh, in, uh, in April uh, was, was basically down 5.9% from the March level and 48% uh, uh, above the April estimates a year ago. The demand is strong, and while completions of new homes is up for 2021, it's basically up 13.9% uh, versus 2020. The prices of new single-family homes is climbing. Uh, the median single-family home, these are brand-new single-family homes uh, on the market in April, uh, was basically 372,400. Uh, according to the home builders, that's up 20.1% from April a year ago. April a year ago was 310,000. Now it's 372,000. But hey, there's a lot of variables that govern the monthly uh, uh, monthly median price. You know that. This is a median price. So you could you could say, hey, what varies from month to month? It could be a seasonal effect, you know. It could be a, a size of the homes that they're selling that particular month. It could be the weather. It could be interest rates. But I find it informative just to examine what's happened to the uh, median sales price over the last six months. So if I start. Well, let's start older. Let's start longer than six months ago. A year ago, uh, the median uh, sales price for a brand new single-family home was three hundred and ten thousand. Then we we'll jump to November. In November of last year, it was three hundred and fifty thousand eight hundred. December it was three hundred and sixty-five thousand. January it was three hundred and seventy-three thousand. February was 352,000, March was 334,000, and here we are in April, 372,400. And uh, um, basically, uh, what you're seeing is uh, home building, home sales, uh, they're having a difficult time building the homes because of the uh, labor, the, the prices for the hardware and the availability of the lots. And uh, uh, there are some localities in Florida and Texas where uh, the municipalities are 
putting laws on the book that you cannot sell a house uh, unless you can build it in six months or a certain number, because uh, with all this uncertainty, to give a person a price a year in advance uh, is uh, crazy for both the buyer as well as the seller. So in order to account for uncertain prices and availability of materials, home builders are holding off on making homes available until further along in the construction. And uh, that restriction is not due to a lack of demand. It's homes are selling as quickly as ever, and many builders are expressing the fact that sales could be higher if material-related constraints weren't there. So there's so few existing homes available for sale, would-be buyers continue to eagerly seek out new constructed homes, even as the prices rise. There were 683,000 new homes sold in 2019. I don't know what it was for 2020. And the current pace for sales is well on track to exceed that figure. So what you're seeing is the prices and availability of other building materials continue to grow with homeowner demands unlikely to relent. It appears that home construction industry might have to start operating on a leaner capacity. In other words, they might be have to pull back. They're up against the operational constraints right now with builders scaling back on construction, which is only going to make the prices go up and uh, and the, uh, um, getting the new house more and more difficult. In fact, if you take a look at uh, the uh, homes uh, that are being built, what you see is that in built and sold is that uh, 59% of the uh, homes that are being sold today are in the $200,000 to $400,000 range. 2% of the homes were in the less than $200,000 range. And uh, the rest of the homes are in the uh, basically four hundred dollars to, I call it a million dollar range. So, 59% of the houses are priced over over 200000 from 200000 to 400000 So what you're going to see is a lot of people are basically going to get priced out of the market. So uh, let's talk about uh, uh, pending home sales. In other words, we, uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, you talked about uh, uh, existing home sales. And pending home sales is a topic that um, the government follows, as well as the realtors follow. And uh, for April, uh, last week we noticed that the National Association of Realtors reported that a reduced number of existing homes for sale, and uh, that existing home sales in April fell by 2.7% from March. Uh, that market is hot, and it is a seller's market. But existing home sales were down in April, and it's the third straight month that uh, existing home sales have been going down. It's not because of uh, lack of demand. It's because of lack of supply. The demand is there, but the supply is being chewed up in bidding wars and other things. And uh, April sales were double-digit over uh, home sales in April a year ago, 
And in their report, the National Association of Realtors reports that uh, only existing home sales that were based upon uh, transactions, you know, by uh, closings where uh, they define a closing as they were money and ownership were trading hands. In addition, the, the National Association of Realtors reports on pending home sales, which they include in that particular group the looser uh, homes that uh, where a bid has been accepted or a uh, deposit has been made. So, you know, there's generally about uh, two or three months to go by before the before the contract is finalized. And so what we're seeing is pending home sales in April dropped 4.4%. And uh, so what we're seeing is the number of sales is going down simply because of the, the supply isn't there. The supply in the new houses is there. The supply in the existing houses is even worse. Uh, uh, all four U.S. regions recorded year-over-year increases, but only the Midwest uh, witnessed a month-over-month gain in terms of uh, ending home sales. So, uh, what did they? There was a there was an indication of what the Existing home sales prices had gone up, but really the, the best indication of what home sales prices have gone up is basically the standard and poor Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Uh, this Case-Shiller Home Price Index, they got gotten records back from the last 30 years where they compare like houses. You know, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, median you know, take a look at the. Uh, 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 take a look at I think thirty. Uh, I think twenty. They took a look at twenty metropolitan areas, and Cleveland is one of them. And what they do is say how much in this house, and then they'll even look and see whether that house has been sold before or not, and what it was sold for, and uh, compare the numbers. So what they're showing you is that the latest results for February. Cleveland home prices are up 12.9% over the last 12 months. In other places, to give you some perspective, uh, Denver, they're up 13.4%. And in Washington, D.C., they're up 12.2%. Now, there are places that are just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, Seattle, 18.3% in the last 12 months. San Francisco, 122 and Tampa on 13.7. So what you're seeing is a tremendous amount of pressure on these prices. And, with the, and you take a look at the uh, 20 metropolitan areas that they include, and the uh, average is up 13.3% uh, price increase over the last uh, over the last 12 months. And uh, uh, Craig Lazara, is the managing director of Global Head of the uh, Index Investment Strategy for Standard and Poor Dow Jones. He indicated, quote, housing prices continue to rise robustly in March 2021. The National Composite Index marked its 10th consecutive month of accelerating uh, prices with a 13.2% gain from the year ago levels. That's up from 12% gain 
in February. This acceleration is also reflected in the 10 and 20 uh, city composites. The 10 composites, 10 city composites was up 12.8, and the 20 was up 13.3, respectively. Uh, the market strength is broadly based. Uh, all 20 cities rose, and all 20 gained more in the 12 month ending in March than they had gained in the 12 month ending in February. So Craig said, quote, again, uh, more than 30 years of standard and poor core logic uh, case filler data puts these results into a historical context. The national composite 13.2% gain was last exceeded more than 15 years ago in 2005 and lies very comfortably in the top decile of historic performance. The unusual strength is reflected in all 20 cities. And according to Craig again, this data consisted of the hypothesis that uh, COVID has encouraged potential buyers to move from urban apartments to suburban homes. And this demand might represent buyers who accelerated purchases that could have happened anyway in the past several years. Ultimately, there may have been a secular change in preference leading to a permanent shift in the demand curve for housing. So, you know, he just ends it with uh, more, more data. <laughs> yeah, time will tell, basically. And, uh, uh, and the economy, you know, we were talking about inflation and housing, and uh, basically even though the, uh, the uh, economy uh, indicates ups and downs, uh, uh, what we're seeing now is that according to the Department of Commerce report, monthly advance report on durable goods manufacturing shipment, orders for long-standing manufacturing goods fell in April. And uh, new orders for durable goods were down approximately 1.3%. But if you do take a look at the numbers per month and per year, you're seeing uh, durable goods orders up something like 22% over last year. This is a year year to date numbers. And uh, so in April, in April, the numbers might have gone down, but they're still uh, very high compared to a year ago. Like new waters, 22% uh, above last year. Primary metals, 19%. Fabricated metals, 20%. And machinery, 14%. So you're seeing a lot of the numbers going up and up versus uh, last year. So, but, yeah. Indicate basically indicates that uh, the economy is in good shape and basically is, is getting better. The only thing we have to worry about is inflation and the interpretation of inflation. Uh, for instance, like last uh, last week, uh, the Standard and Poor uh, Index 500 index closed at 4,204.11, and that's up 1.2 for the week. So this is Jim McAleese. Uh, you listen to Get Rich Live. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. As we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend with family and friends, let's set aside the time to observe Memorial Day. Let's remember the soldiers, the sailors, and Marines and airmen who died defending our country and protecting our way of life. It's our patriotic duty to remember those who have been lost in the service of our country and to never allow them to be forgotten. Remember that it's the soldier, not the reporter, who's given us the freedom of the press. It's the soldier, not the poet, who has given us the power of free speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us the freedom to demonstrate. It's the soldier, not the locksmith, who protects our children as they sleep in their beds at night. It is the soldier, not the clergy, who allows us to attend the church or temple of our choice. It is the soldier, not the American politician or the American political process, that guarantees our entrance to the ballot box. And it is the soldier who salutes the flag and whose coffin is draped by the flag that guarantees, guarantees the American way of life. If you could read what I said in the book, thank a teacher. If it's in English, thank a soldier. So let's take the time to think and pray for all those serving in the armed forces who are defending our country today. So until we meet again next week for more of Get Rich Flow, may God protect you and keep you safe. Who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.